לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another very special edition of Arsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malaman in Highland Park, New Jersey, the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Chemin. And joining me, my good friends Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salman Shekhar Day School of Long Island. Rabbi Jarvik Kalmanaska, Asher Chesed, New York City. We are in the middle of Sukkot. It's Cholamoy Sukkot. Uh, we were recording this a couple of days before Hoshana Rabbah and Shmini Atzeret and Simchas Torah. This is a very full Full time. It's the really it's the crescendo of the entire month of Tishrei, Chagay Tishrei, as they say in Israel. Uh, we're just going to pull out holidays at random, and I'm going to ask my colleagues to reflect on key moments, emotional moments, important moments, favorite moments. We'll talk about Hoshana Rabbah, Barry Chester. Hoshana Rabbah, favorite moment, key moment, emotional moment. What is what what speaks to you on Hoshana Rabbah? So I think I like Hoshana Rabbah a lot, especially when one does the the full Nusach. So we have the special Pesuke Dezirma, we, which we use for Shabbat and Yom Tov. And then we have a Torah reading, Halel. We have Musaf to the High Holiday Nusach. And it's an attempt to weave everything together. For the rabbis, this was Yom Adin, the day of the last day of judgment. So... You were written in the Book of Life, One Hopes on Rosh Hashanah, sealed on Yom Kippur. And this is the last gasp when the judgment is finally made in stones, so to speak. And it's it's a powerful moment because then, especially following the, the rabbis, we observe Shemini Atzer and Simcha's Torah, which is kind of a private moment with God. It's an attempt to hold on to the God of the High Holidays while preparing us for the joy of Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. Interesting. Rabbi Kamalovsky. Man, I love I love Hoshana Rabbah. And admittedly, uh, what I love about it is, is maybe a little bit hard to translate, but the the poems that are recited, it's, it's Hoshana Rabbah is the great Hoshana. Each of the days of Sukkot, we've had circled the sanctuary and recited one poem and with a little bit before and a little bit after, but on the Hoshana Rabbah, there are seven poems and they're intensely messianically inflected. I think messianism in real life is not great. I think it tends to drive people insane and make them do stupid things, but the climax of these poems is this the voice proclaims and here's what it says and the poem is rich with messianic imagery, like all of this suffering, done. All of this exile done, and the world death swallowed up forever. The resurrection of the dead is here. The Mashiach is here, and that chant of Kol Mevaser Mevaser Omer. I'll just give you a couple of them. See me Adam Mesech Mishkenotayich Kabli Banayich Uvnotayich 
Stretch your tent as far as Damascus. Bring in all your sons and daughters. Rejoice, you rose of Sharon. The, the, those sleeping in Hebron, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, uh, Rebecca, and Leah, they're, they've come back to life. Semach ish semach shmo. Semach hu ish semach shmo. Hu David ve'atzmo. The Mashiach, who's known as the flourishing plant, his, his name is flourishing. This is none other than David himself. And we're in the synagogue and we're chanting, and then we whack, 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 the the uh, willow branches and uh, yeah, the willow branches. And we have a, a newish super. He he was he was here at the synagogue last of but I don't think he he remembers the Jewish holiday cycle. So I was like, okay, Stephen, I got to tell you. We got to have a little more time cleaning up the sanctuary after Friday morning services because it's going to be littered with vegetable matter. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think I think um, these are these are cr- critical pinnacle moments, and the the sense that everything kind of is in disarray, that everything is, you know, like they say in basketball, we leave it all on the court, we leave it all in the bima, we leave it all in the sanctuary. Uh, that's quite true. We we do leave it all. In fact. There is this custom, and I'm I can't really pin it down, but at the end of the Hoshanot to put the Lulav to take the branch and to put it in the Aron, we we do that. I've been doing that because I remember we used to do that at the seminary. I don't remember what the origins of that custom are, but uh I know that we collect the Lulavim and we use the Lulavim for burning chametz. Mm-hmm. So, so that there's a kind of connection between the end of one holiday and the beginning of another holiday. And I would just uh, underscore the the idea of those Hoshanot. It's it's probably very difficult for someone who's never experienced it. You know, in our communities, uh, we tend not to have large turnouts on Hoshana Rabbah. It's a weekday morning. It's an early morning. The service goes quite a long time. We do get more people than usual in a daily minyan, uh, but it's it can be uh, quite a long service, and it hums along, and Quite honestly, most of the doshanot are unintelligible to many people, except for maybe the repetitive the repetition phrases, all of those which have a certain power, incantatory power with repetition and repetition, repetition. And I think the the sense of repeating things um gives its own, I don't want to say a trance-like power, but it's a catharsis. The whole moment is a catharsis. It's over. And I, I feel exhausted at the morning. Um, and it's a good exhaustion. It, it may be, you know, all of the emotion that has been pent up from the end of Yom Kippur, the sense that, you know, whatever you didn't get to finish uh, on Yom Kippur, now you can finish. I, I kind of have a little bit of envy for people who say, you know, oh, we had such a wonderful Yom Kippur. We had such a satisfying Yom Kippur. I'm not sure exactly what they mean, other than maybe they sang a lot. It was musical. They 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 davened very hard. They had that full experience. But that uh, emotional, spiritual satisfaction emerges at the end of Hoshana Rabbah, I think. And, and I, um, I, of course, it is true that um, most people don't. You may have to know a little bit to get the poems um, to get what's what the references is, which is why I always say to people, you know, like 
Evan Shtia, well, this is all about Jerusalem, and each item in this alphabetical list is about Jerusalem, or each in Omani Choma, these are each one is about the people of Israel and its its experience through history, um, and uh, and I try to like at least give people you know some sense of where it's going, but the there I, I really appreciate because of there's a, I mean, primitivity to the ritual, we're getting in touch with our pagan side a little bit, we're holding the holding the bouquet, we're shaking it, you give it a rustle and it makes noise like rain and we're trying to awaken the rain and I, I, I think it's amazing in a very intellectual religion like our own um, that, that sometimes we have these uh, ways of getting in touch with a I don't. I don't mean this in a bad way, but I mean it actually in a good way. A less sophisticated uh, format, and the poems, because the poems are, as you you just said quite correctly, incantatory. Da dum da da dum da da dum da da dum, and and you know, uh, uh, with that dirgy little Hoshana chant, uh, I, I, it it sort of gives you a little bit of a hint of what a poem was written in the seventh century perhaps for an illiterate people for an illiterate population they weren't dumb they weren't they weren't uneducated but they didn't read squiggles they didn't read marks on a piece of paper they were just repeating yeah. and the power of that repetition i think is really like okay what did Khalir do that his poems are being recited after the man's been dead for, for 1500 years or 1300 years he had that incantatory uh beat that people could connect to and they're on so many levels at the same time that you cannot underscore the the sophistication of some of these and the the alliterative power, the illusory power, the the metaphors and and all of the different poetic devices. They're they're just it's, it's such a rich um, array of, of of beautiful poetry that is beyond the capabilities and literacy of most of us. Okay, we'll move to. Uh, Shmini Atzeret now. Shmini Atzeret, emotional moment. Shmini Atzeret, and where where do you go from there, Barry? Shmini Atzeret. Um, I, I guess Shmini Atzeret. What speaks to me is Geshem, the prayer for rain. Um, in Israel, this is going to be close to the beginning of the rainy season, which, at least according to the rabbis, will begin in two weeks, on the seventh of Cheshvan. And this is a time to make the transition into the the coming autumn and winter. Um, so it's a transition even in the United States with the weather. And Shemini Yetzirah is its own holiday. The rabbis stress that. And so it has its own Kiddush, its own Amidah, its own Musaf. And um, it's like a last chance to relax in a Yuntaf sort of a way and... Enjoy, Jeremy. Uh, well, I was also going to say Geshem, and I was actually going to look for the um, uh, um, text here in my Sidor, which I'm not turning it up right now. I I, I love the religious style of saying Morid Hatal. No, yeah. I'm an Ashkenazi guy, not necessarily a Hasidic background. Uh, I adopted saying Morid Hatal in the more Sephardic Nusach, Nusach of Eretz Yisrael, of, of more the Hasidic style. I love Morid Hatal because it speaks to me of um, like a spiritual truth that 
even in the dry summer in the land of Israel where there's never any rain, there's still some moisture to be precipitated out of the air. And and you can always find tile, you can always find dew, even on a hot and otherwise unrainy day. So I love saying it through, you know, Pesach to now. Uh, I find it a little bit sad to say goodbye to Morid Hatal and take on Geshem to take on... Um, <laughs> where, um, I'd like to find it in my... Here, here my, I got it up. I can't, I can't find it right here, now. I got it. I'm holding it up in the screen. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you. Oh, what page is that? It's in the... It's, uh, I'm in the uh, Koran, 851. I'm also in the Koran. Okay, page 851. Um, 851. And there we are. No, uh, mine that's Akdamur. I'm in a different Koran. Oh, well. Okay. Um, but I also love the fact that um, uh, it's the same Nusach as Neila. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and that conveys I because I'm not a musical person, really not a musical person. I've I've always been like a little bit skeptical about well, the music of the synagogue means this or that. But this one it really works for me. And if you okay. if you remember that it's Neila, then you call it you call it to mind now. It's quite it confers a lot of power. Well, I got two moments for 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 uh, Shmini Yetzirah Haftarah. I love the Haftarah. It's a it's um, a chazaka. I do the Haftarah every Shmini Yetzirah. It's my senior sermon. Parsha been doing it now for oh, I guess thirty something years, which is a lot. Uh, the dedication of the temple, which I think is one of the great great moments of uh, Tanakh, really the high point uh, in Solomon's reign. Is so so much going on in that particular text, such a beautifully written, beautifully told, beautifully, um, you know, it's got a lot of great music in it. Uh, very emotional. It's an emotional, personally, it's an emotional moment in the in the history of biblical Israel, and we're touching that. We're touching that moment at the at the key moment, at the climax of the whole holiday season. So that, that for me, is very, very precious. And, uh, you know, uh, Yisker. Yisker on Shemini is a different Yisker. I think Yisker on the last day of Pesach is a different Yisker. Uh, the Yiskers are very special moments, you know, personally, obviously, and, and in the community. I'm in the middle of, you know, thinking about remarks for Yisker and um, uh, thinking about, you know, just what it means. You, you, you are reciting names, you're thinking about people, uh, you're in community, and um, that idea that you're going to be there with everyone and think about people just, you know, for a fleeting moment uh, is very, very powerful. And in some way it says, you know, here you are with me uh, as the holiday concludes um, uh, at these precious moments, this precious moment of communal life uh we want to hang on to people who are important to us personally i mean my my whole thinking is what's the difference between the kind of experience that we have at yisker versus the kind of experience we have when we visit the cemetery the visit of cemetery is a, a personal experience the yisker experience is really a collective experience and and 
there's a whole set of uh, contrast between those two. And I just feel since, of course, you know, Yisker does uh, motivate a lot of people to come to shul for all sorts of reasons. And we can't, you know, we love them coming for any reason. And it's even, even to, to feel the sense of connectedness, but we, you know, I'm always stunned that the minute Yisker is over, a lot of people head for the exits. You know, you can stay mm-hmm. a little bit longer. <laughs> uh, but uh, well, have you ever asked those people what they actually get out of Yisker? Uh, no. And I, you know, it's, it's not something that I could stop the service and say, could, would you like to share? But um I think it's worth a conversation. You know, so probably. what I find interesting, I go to this small Orthodox shul, and Yisker is kind of perfunctory. Yeah. You know, and I noticed this year on Yom Kippur, we didn't even have a minion of mourners. Actually, we only had 15 for all of Yom Kippur. So thank God 10 of them had parents. Um, and I I often wonder, you know, about that idea. You know, in some synagogues I've gone to, they've moved Yisker around to try to stanch the flow of people. Like in one shul I belong to, they would do Yisker on Yom Kippur in the afternoon. Right. So people would come back for Mincha, which I never particularly liked, because I think it's better when the Torah is up. But be that as it may, I sometimes wonder if we don't miss an opportunity by finding and really discussing with people what is the draw of Yisker for them. Because I imagine most of them don't understand the Hebrew that they're reading. So where are they getting their... So my hunch is that that people sense... People have an obligation, and they they feel that sense of obligation to their dead, and to uh, they 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 need to express that within the communal sphere. Right, but what I'm suggesting is where there's a real rabbinic role is putting that into words, because that's what rabbis do. They put things into words. They put things into words, but it, it's. You know, if you say to people you have an obligation and you're coming because you feel guilt or a sense of shame, you know, it's maybe that doesn't work. Right? You know, <laughs> I, I um, so so before I, I mean, it's obviously been a great many years now, but uh, more years than I care to count that I've been, you know, working as a rabbi on the high holidays. But uh, in 23 years here in this shul, um, but before that, and still today, I'm 57. I have two living parents. Uh, have not had, you know, first degree losses, um, lost grandparents, uh, you know, an uncle. But um, uh, at fifty-seven, I'm, I'm, you know, well, well behind the curve about about personal. And, and you should stay that way. <laughs> and, and and so before I went to work as a rabbi, I was never even in the room for Yisker. I always went out. Um, so I had very very little. Uh, I, I, I had no real uh, experience of of what this is, and and having to, um, you know, le- frame it for people, the people through uh, an experience that that is, is it remains a little bit alien to me. Um, it's interesting for me to hear you say that, Elliot, about the difference between the kind of a private. Or a communal. It is true that we do this communally, but the things that I tend to say tend to be about um, encouraging people to to summon up very personal memories. 
And I tend not to, and I and I'm by no means think that, oh, this is how we should do it. I mean, maybe I should do it the other way. Maybe I should think about stressing communality. But I I always feel like I set something up and then I let them go do it, even though I'm not quite doing it myself. Um, it's and, all about emotion. I think, I think, I mean, someone this week said to me, do you have a real tear jerking sermon for Yisker? And, and I don't think it's a tear jerking. I, I felt, I feel the pressure now to, to have a, uh, an emotional sermon. Um, and I think people are looking for an emotional release. They, they do want to come and cry a little bit aside from the fact that that's, Highly unpopular in in a in a in a modern context to so, cry publicly. Well, the the observation I like to share is that Yisker is one of those things that your list of people only gets longer. Sure, but you never take people off your Yisker list, and I think that part of the power of Yisker is that it allows us to confront our own mortality by remembering our loved ones who have gone before us, and it gives us an intimation that one day someone is going to be saying Yisker for us. I, I, I keep a list on my bulletin board of people that I want to remember. I, I was up to like 105, but that includes Jean Beliveau. <laughs> <laughs> That's two weeks in a row. We got a hockey player. In there. <laughs> it includes, includes a lot of relatives, members of the shul, and famous people, and I have to add this year a couple of people like like Gordon Lightfoot. You know, do you actually say a paragraph for each of those people? I don't say a paragraph. I, I go. Oh, so what I find funny in the art school Mahsor, yeah. they they mention for the El Mali Rachamim, which is traditionally comes after the Yisker paragraphs, that um, you could say El Mali in a group, but you should separate the men and the women. They <laughs> just say it twice, which okay. I always found kind of quaint. <laughs> All right, um, we could spend a lot of time talking about it. Let's move on to uh, Shmini. Uh, we're we're Sim at Shmini. Torah. Sam Chastora. Okay, Sam Chastora. You know, it's the only time that we get to read the Zota Bracha completely. Okay, not that I want to go on the on the sad parts, but but I find find the Zota Bracha so intensely moving. Okay, especially when we come to the end, and it's the it's the moment that that the Torah reports to us the death of Moses. Now, uh, as I pull up the verse here, which is chapter 34 of the book of Deuteronomy, it, it says here that God showed Moses the entire land, and then it says um, God speaks to Moses. And this is the last word that God says to Moses. Zotaretz. This is the land. So it's so powerful. The land. It's right before him. Right? It's right before. Zotaretz. This is the land that I have sworn to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your seed, I will give it to them. I have showed it to you in your eyes, and you're not going there. And then the next verse, and Moses dies there. So, you know, musically, I want to have a long pause between the two verses and and kind of sit there and meditate there and and think about Moses having seen the land and experienced the vision of that, and then 
kind of, you know, imagining what's going to take place and the death. And the death is unattended. It's alone. It's, it's, uh, well, it's not unattended. God is there. God is attending. Okay. So, but, but, you know, I, unless you have God holding your hand, you know, nobody wants to die, you know, alone. Moses, at least Aaron had his brother around when, when he died. No. So what I would focus on more is the the mode of death, which is the kiss of death. Okay, api Adonai, by the peh, by the mouth, by the word of, you know, according to the commandment, all that, okay? Um, and we, we don't pay enough attention to these moments in the course of the reading because, you know, we're, we're in this festive atmosphere, the Torah is ending, and it's it's... It's really a confluence of very, very discordant emotions. So what I find striking here is that we kind of rush the end of the book, and we go off in two separate directions. Yes. In the Haftarah, we begin the next section of the Tanakh, the Nevi'im. And in the um, Maft here, we begin the Torah again. So we don't actually end with the death of Moses, we end either with the entrance into the land or the preparation for the actual entrance into the land in the Haftarah, or with a creation, which in a sense is a recreation of the world. And it sort of gives a different meaning to the death of Moses, because in the context of our liturgy, it's temporary. The death of Moses then is conjoined to the life of Joshua and the creation of the world. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't end itself. It's not an end in and of itself. Yeah. Well, this is like we're reminded of the, of the, you know, fact that like Bible scholars say that they think that Devarim wasn't supposed to be the end of the of the five books of Moses. It was supposed to be the fifth of the six books of Joshua. Sure, sure. And, and so that's partly there, and and you know, it is a joyful, wonderful thing that we complete the Torah, start it all over again. Awesome, Ashrecha Yisrael. Uh, that's you, that's the last line in verse chapter thirty three, which is so great. And you know, uh, among the among the powerful parts of this, Ashrecha Yisrael Mikamocha, how fortunate you are, Israel. There's none like you. Amnoshav Adunai Magen Ezrecha is a people rescued by God, who is your protecting shield. Vasher Cherev Gavatecha, your your uh, sword is your is your pride. Um, I think that's amazing. I think the the uniqueness of Moses and the weeping for Moses. But I want to throw in one more sort of um, modern element about this that captures, I think, some of the stuff that Elliot was saying about the death of Moses. The grave of Rachel HaMeshoreret, Rachel the poetess, um, her poem is Mineged, and Moses looking across and never getting there. And she, it's actually on, it is etched on her grave in Kutzat Kinneret, just at the south tip of the of the Kinneret. The final of the three short stanzas. Haros kapayim raomi neged shama enba. Stretch out your hand and see it across. There, you're not going. Ish unubolo. Everybody has his own nubo. Everyone is, has his own being alone on that mountain, looking across uh, Eretz Rabbah, looking uh, across the Great Wall. It's, it's so powerful, you know, and she means, what, what is she getting at there? What do you think she's I think saying? It's the, I think it's the 
and this is the you you know you noted that that was the last statement of God to Moshe, and Shamalot Avor, you will never arrive. Um, the the power of the divine statement to saying to the human being, as wonderful in the Bible's telling, as wonderful as a human being can possibly be, you will never arrive. None of us will ever arrive. Every human being has the end of their life as looking across to the thing they won't reach. Mm-hmm. And that's ish univolo. Everybody's got their own harnivo. Everybody's got their own Moses being alone. And that's really uh, heartbreaking. Yeah. So in a sense, we have to start the Torah from the beginning again. And because we would die of heartbreak if we didn't. We would die of heartbreak. No, for sure. And this is why I think, and I've said this before on this on this podcast. You know, Simchas Torah is really a holiday that's not exactly celebrating the Torah as much as it's celebrating the eternity of the Jewish people and its connection to the Torah. And I get this question all the time: Why do we start the Torah? Why don't we start the Torah? Reading cycle at Rosh Hashanah. Why does it? Not, why do I have to wait till Simchas Torah? It's it's actually a good question. And this, you know, intuitively you would think you know, New Year, no Torah reading. But you know, the the answer is it it just doesn't work out that way. That's not a good answer. The answer is there's just you know so much you know squashed into the the week the two weeks be, between you have Sukkot and you have Rosh Hashanah and you have independent themes dealing with 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 all of those things. Um, but this is this is about the the Jewish people connected to Torah on its eternal journey, and that's possibly why we don't get wrapped up in you know the pathos of this moment, which is you know it's very sad, it's it's heartbreaking, uh, and that we linger maybe just a few milliseconds between the end of the Torah and the beginning again. I mean, it's such a tremulous moment between any we can't live without torah we have to bring the second torah up we have to read it right away uh i think it's a very very powerful statement of continuity we are not linear people in the sense that you know we're going now into joshua although what a great thing it would be to for people to read that we're going back to the beginning because we our lives are dependent on this and our lives are dependent on retelling the story the whole story again a new as we are ourselves renewed and as we are older we're older we have a little more insight we have a little more wisdom i think so the image here is then it's not the circle of life but a spiral yeah because we come back from a different vantage point everything looks the same but our perspective is a little different yeah so here we are we're going from the end of Sukkot, Hoshana Rabbah, Shmini Atzeret, Simchas Torah, and then we're going to go to Shabbos Bereshit, but this is where we're going to end our time together, and we can't thank you enough, the people that are watching and listening to us, we love your comments, we love your reactions on any of the places that uh, you react. Thank you, thank you for watching, thank you for listening, and we will join you very soon for another edition of Parsha Talk.
מאזינים לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים קיץ באוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM 